Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, Vision for You, Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, September 17, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter, chapter 6, Into Action, and we are on page 80 in that chapter. And we're going to start with the second paragraph on that page that begins, This Brings to Mind a Story. The reference number for yesterday, which was Monday, September 16th, is 5142. That's 5142. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members we are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I'd now like to ask Amy W. to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. Um, Amy W., California. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to all overeaters, compulsive overeaters, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, I pass. Thank you so much, Amy. I'd now like to ask Anne S. to please read the 12 traditions. Hi, good morning. My name is Anna Kaposva, Eater from Pennsylvania, the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise Thus, problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. 
Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever nonprofessional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you so much, Anne. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the Big Book, and we are in Chapter 6 into Action. We are studying Step 9, and we are on page 80 in that chapter, and it's the second paragraph from the top of the page that begins, This Brings to Mind a Story. And I would like to ask Deborah to please read that for us. Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, This is Devora. I'm a compulsive overeater recovered in New Jersey. This brings to mind a story about one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently, to the night, actually received the money. Someone saw him unheeded and is breathing into the phone. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. Should I continue to the next paragraph or stop there? Let's stop there. Okay. So, um... So here we are in step nine, learning how to make amends. And of course, we, we, we heard yesterday and we continue to hear that we just can't do it on our own. We need, we need a sponsor who can help us guide us and um, share her experience on how to make an amends. And here is, this is, this is a big story over here. We have a man who, who doesn't remember that someone else paid him back. He was, um, and, uh, and now he um, is discredited. He 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 discredited him, and he wants to uh, make amends. And this is when you need counsel more than anything else. Um, what do you do in situation? Because as we read further, if he brings it up, it might make matters worse. And um, so it's just so important to seek the guidance um, from people who've gone before you and to hear how to um, follow through and with that I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Press this star one. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G and I'm a recovery compulsive overeater from South Jersey. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. You know, I remember reading this and thinking, oh, these alcoholics are so awful. How could they do that to another person? 
and never try to think about, you know, how did I do this in my own life? You know, because once again, I often thought of dishonesty as, or stealing as cash register. Cash register honesty. I never stole, but I had to look at what did I do that destroyed the reputation of another. And I have to tell you, I used my tongue as a way to do that. If I didn't like someone, I would trash people behind their back. If someone didn't live up to what I expected them to do, I not only let them know it, but more specifically, I let other people know that because I needed to feel superior to other people. So among my family, I would rip down one cousin in the back to my aunts. If I was with friends and I didn't like who someone was dating, I would trash them. I would look for reasons that I thought that I could prove that they were a bad person. And then I would trash them. So I would use these reasons to discredit people, to tear them down, to, to even, you know, even though it was behind their back, and then all of a sudden people would be talking about them. And the person would wonder, where would that come from? And I would sit back and I would giggle and I would laugh and like, ha, 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 at the power I had. So how was I going to correct that? How was I going to make up for how my gossip, which is the assassination of someone's character, would affect them? So I think it's important we not only look at the specific examples, but we step back and we see how did our behavior affect other people? And even though it's frightening, how are we going to make right those wrongs so we don't have to live in the guilt and the shame and the remorse anymore? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. You know, I, I so appreciate these first 100 recovered alcoholics and the way they'll tell us a story. You know, the way they'll put something down in this book that I can relate to, that I can relate to. And I don't know about you, but reading about steps eight and nine, you know, I didn't want to have to relate to these things. I didn't want those things to be true for me as well. But this brings to mind a story about one of our friends, they said. And what happened in this story? Well, while, while drinking, while drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated rival. So that story right there sets up something for me that I can see clearly. Okay, this, this man was drinking. He was in the midst of the disease. His faulty thinking was going full blast. And he had someone he bitterly hated, a business rival, a business rival. And my guess is here... If he was anything like me, there was a whole lot of fear, economic insecurity, all kinds of things fueling that bitterly hate that he was feeling. You know, a business rival. And so while in his drinking, he accepted this sum of money and never gave the guy a receipt for it. And that enabled him then later to say, oh, I never got the money from him. He never paid me. And so spread rumors and innuendos and discredited this man. Destroyed his reputation. Destroyed his reputation. And, you know, in business and in the world, that, that can be a pretty heavy blow, destroying someone's reputation. But this man, it says, he thus used his own wrongdoing, his own wrongdoing, as a means of destroying the reputation of another. Well, what I know to be true is those were the very things that drove me to pick up the food again and again and again. I couldn't live with those things inside myself. And every time they surfaced and every time I'd think about them, I couldn't bear it. I couldn't bear it. And the fear would return. The fear of being found out, the fear that I was not the kind of person I was trying to portray to the world, you know, no integrity, no honesty, no courage at work here. Restless, irritable, and discontented feeling, and then I would pick up again. So they're, they're telling us this story, I think, for a very good purpose, to show me, to show me, to illustrate to me 
that I have to be willing to go to any lengths to restore myself with God's help and the help of my fellows to an integrated state where all parts of me are back in order, where I can live in the way in the world that does not drive me to drink. You know, so I'm really grateful for this story because it illustrates something to me, that this was me as well. You know, if I have that resentment, if I have that fear at work, and I don't clean up the past, and I don't make amends, then I'm going to be the same as this story of this man. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Good morning, it's Leah. Good morning, Miss Leah. Go ahead. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Janice. Thank you for your service. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive over here. Yes, uh, I mean, obviously we're studying step nine here, um, but I too wanted to take a look at that statement. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. Uh, We're in the midst of step nine, very serious here, as the big book teaches uh, through numerous examples how we straighten up our past. Uh, They spend eight pages on step nine. You know, the first action step, which was step four, the first step to the inventory process, you know, we do all that in the confines of our home uh, privately or with a sponsor specific, you know, when we're dealing with step five, of course. Um, But now we're leaving the house, and now we are trying to clean up the consequences of our behavior, and so uh, that is serious business here. And so we seek the counsel and guidance of recovered people, of a sponsor, to um, to navigate how do we clean up this past of ours. Now, this statement says he thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. It's just an example of how, um, you know, <laughs> uh, how I was the architect of my own misery, um, you know, I created these kind of uh, occurrences because I didn't want to take ownership and responsibility for the way I was behaving. It was much easier uh, for me to um, justify and manipulate my uh, behavior through, um, you know, through uh, emphasizing the wrongs of another person. You know, um, and this is this created tremendous tumult in relationships. And the big book, of course, taught that earlier when it talks about the bedevilments. You know, the big book talks about leaving the drink question aside. We had to look, why was our life so unsatisfactory? And it goes on in the bedevilments, which we find on page 52, listing how we were having trouble with personal relationships, how we couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living, etc. Now uh, we get to clean up that type of life. Now we get to clean up that type of life, and we do that through step nine. And of course, thank God, once we have an opportunity to clean up this past of ours, we don't have to live that way anymore because one day at a time we can live um, standing on new ground. You know, when we're in harmony with God, which is made possible through steps one, two, and three, and then we become in harmony with our minds, which is made possible through the inventory steps, step four, five, six, and seven. Then when we get to step eight and nine, which we're studying now, we get an opportunity to become in harmony with those around us, whether we're talking about colleagues, whether we're talking about relationships, family of origin relationships in our communities, uh, with with our immediate families, etc. We have that opportunity to straighten out the past. And what a wonderful opportunity it is that we no longer have to justify and blame and harm other people by ignoring and minimizing and rationalizing and uh, denying our own behavior. 
We can take responsibility and say, here I am, this is who I am, and I am responsible for my attitudes, my outlook, my behavior, my words today. I don't have responsibility or control over other people's attitudes, behavior, outlook, uh, words you know, that, that come forth through their lips, but we have responsibility for our own. And step nine is the first uh, opportunity um, leaving the house, so to speak, in this inventory process where we get a chance to rectify that behavior. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I share? Go ahead, Ms. Paula. Thank you. Thank you again for your service. You know, this brings to mind, they say, a story about one of our friends. Well, gee, this guy is not one that I would want to identify as even, a, even as a friend. What is the wrong that has to be righted? Everything after this, it has to be righted. He cannot live in sobriety and in a close relationship with God with this between them. And it said, look, look at this person. When I say look at this person, I look at myself here. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business. I don't even like you. I don't even like you. Bitterly hated. But I'll take your money. I'll take your money. That I'll do. And look at how clever this man was, and he didn't even give him a receipt for it. wonder what transpired there. Oh, I'm sure you can imagine, and I'm sure probably... Your experience could come right along with them. At first I said, ah, like Bill, I was aghast. Imagine. No, I don't have to imagine. I live these things. I don't care if I like you or not, but if I can use you while drinking. In this part, he used his own. He hated this man for a reason. It didn't matter, right or wrong. He used his own wrongdoing to destroy the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. How would he feel up on that? Not only that, that I contributed to it. That's what I contributed. This is who I was, not who I am. But to live, to stay with who I am, I must correct and make amends for what I did, their responsibility. They're a life that is lived finally free. Thank you for allowing me to share that I do pass. Thank you, Paul. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? All right, we'll move on to the next paragraph. And do, would you please read that for us? Good morning. Um, do you want me to read both paragraphs or just that one? Uh, let's just read the next paragraph to start with. Thanks, Du. Certainly. Uh, this is too compulsive, reader. Um, it says, he felt he had done a wrong he could not possibly make right. If he opened an old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and took away his means of livelihood. What right had he involved? What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? Um, what I see here is when you're considering your amends um, and and going forward, uh, you, you may cross uh, a, a crossroad where. Um, you have to consider whether you need to disclose completely um, when you have done damage to others that, you know, might involve them and um, can seriously further harm them. And in that case, you know, we have to consider whether that amends needs to be done. And I think that's where he's at right at this point where he, he knows he's done this harm to this man. He knows that by going forward and and actually declaring um, that he's done this harm, that it could bring harm upon his partner, 
upon his own family and upon others in the community. And at this point, he's faced with that dilemma. And I, I just love what the 12 and 12 says, that when we're faced with this matter, we should ask ourselves some questions. And um, on page 86 of the 12 and 12, it says, uh, do we instantly co- confess our reg- regularities to burn in the practical certainty that we will be fired or become unemployable? Are we going to be rigidly righteous about making amends that we don't care what happens to the family and home? Or do we consult those who are to be greatly affected? Do we lay the matter before our sponsor or spiritual advisor, earnestly asking God's help and guidance? Meanwhile, resolving to do the right thing when it becomes clear and costs what it may. Of course, there's no pat answer which can fit all such dilemmas but all of them do require a complete willingness to make amends as fast and as far as we may be possible in given set of conditions. Above all, we should try to be absolutely sure that we are not delaying because we are afraid for the readiness to take the full consequences of our past acts and to take responsibility for the well-being of others at the same time is the very spirit of step nine. And so what I see from that is that, yes, we do have to consider, you know, how we affect others, especially when we're, you know, when we're going to make an amends, it's going to affect other people. But I also see from here that we don't shy away from making amends. You know, if at all possible, there is a willingness there to make the amends. We need to consider all, all such situations, how to make the amends. You know, that's why we go in in prayer to God um, to ask him which way to go. We consult with our spiritual advisors. We consult with um, our sponsors. And, you know, and we're ready to make and take responsibility for the consequences of our past, you know, for uh, the responsibility of others, you know, whatever that may entail. And he's faced with this challenge right now. Um, you know, what is he going to do? How is he going to make this? Uh, he needs to consider these things. And that's what I see here. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Do. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And the thing that really stood out to me is that he was afraid. He was afraid. He felt he had done a wrong he could not possibly make right. So left to his own thinking, he started to rationalize to himself that there was no way out. How, How could he possibly do this? He was afraid that it would destroy the partner that he now had, that it would disgrace his family, you know, and so like me, you know, it's so easy to get into that, what could happen next week, next month, next year? But I think the underlying question that it says here is what right did he have to involve those dependent on him and how could he possibly make a public statement? You know, those were the two biggest things that, that the three things that he feared. You know, would it affect his current business partner, those depended on him, and how would he look to the public? How would he look to the public? Well, you know, I think that when we say, when we believe, when we've done these steps, when we've looked at our steps four and five, when we've taken our inventory, and we've put down in black and white those things that block us from the sunlight of the spirit, those things in ourselves, fear is always going to be my biggest fear. It's the underlying thread, the big book says. It, it ought to be classed with stealing because it seems to be in every single part of our life and our thinking. Fear. But you know what? I can't live with fear. I can't live with fear because it is the fear that would drive my resentments. It was the fear that would drive my discontent. It was the fear that was going to keep me picking up 
again and again and again. And so it's, it is always a good habit to start getting into to be talking over these amends. You know, we're in step nine here. So we are going out into the world and trying to create harmony. We're trying to create harmony. But those resentful attitudes, those fearful attitudes, those will drive us back to the food. We cannot hate and make amends at the same time. So he had to find some way to come to peace with this. And first of all, I know for me it was to pray, to pray, to pray, to connect with my higher power. Because without that spiritual strength and that developing spiritual understanding that I was trying to get, I would never be able to do these amends. No matter how many fellows I had to walk with me, You know, I was as powerless over that as I had been powerless over the food. But I'm trying to reach for a new way of acting. I'm trying to reach for a new way of living in the world. I'm trying to reach for a new way of being at peace and finding contentment and acting in a way that that elevates me and those around me to try to feel that calmness. And that all comes, for me, with a spiritual awakening and a spiritual experience. And that's God. So, you know, to pray and to ask for help and to be here now in this moment was going to always be the way of finding the answer to this next amends. And I don't think he was any different. So he had a lot of questions. He had a lot of questions. If he opened up this old affair, wasn't it in the past? Wasn't it in the past and shouldn't it stay in the past? Well, the question was, could he live with that past? And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Sally. This is Katie. Hi, Sally. And then Katie. Thank you. Thank you, Janice, for your service this morning. This is Sally, recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, This is... um, an interesting paragraph, to say the least. He felt that he had done a wrong he could not possibly make right. And he uses the same word possibly in the last sentence of this paragraph. How could he possibly? So he's really taking a look at the situation and he's he's actually recognizing that of himself, this is impossible to fix. That's what I see here. The man looks at the situation and thinks, is this possible to fix at this point? That's his first thought and his last thought. Then he goes on to say, if he opened that old affair, and how many of us have thought to ourselves, if I open this old wound, is this a good idea to open this old wound? Because this is kind of a an old wound that uh, has been, I've been leaving it alone. I've been hoping it would just go away, that it would just heal somehow. And here we are in step nine, ripping open all these old wounds that have been mulling around up in our brain wandering around, little thoughts have just been fleeting across our consciousness and have been festering for all this time. And once and for all, we're going to open an old wound and actually quite a few old wounds because we're going to finally take care of these old wounds. So he says, if he opened that old affair, opening that old wound, He's afraid. Now, here comes our little list of, are these excuses for why he shouldn't open this old wound? Um, are these uh, rationalizations for why this, you know, this could really not be good for me to open this old wound? Shouldn't I let sleeping dogs lie? Isn't that what I learned from my, from my grandmother? Let sleeping dogs lie? And so here comes these little, these, what, what appear to be excuses um, and certainly on our on our actual um, amends list, we see, you know, it asks us, how does this affect us? Does it affect our fears? Does it affect our self-esteem? Does it affect our money? Um, and, and more. So here we see, if he opened the old wound or the old affair, number one, he was afraid. 
it would destroy the reputation of his partner and probably his, his own reputation, um, that it would disgrace his family and probably disgrace himself, his, would hurt his own self-esteem, and then it would take away his means of livelihood and it would affect his pocketbook. What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? Now, yes, we should take a good look before we make an amends, and most importantly, we should be discussing with our sponsor. How about this? Should I do this? Should I handle this? Should I? How should I handle this? Um, should I actually open this old wound? Um, is this going to hurt the other person more than it's going to to actually? help them and justify them finally and once and for all? These are important questions that should be asked before we jump in. So when he asked what right had he to involve those dependent on him, that that was a good question. How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? How is he going to fix this? That's what he's looking at here. And so these are all very important questions that he's asking. And at the same time, this this story is one very key example at the leveling of pride that has to take place when we make our amends. I'm sure this the most important question is, will I survive the leveling of my pride when I do this? And um, I think that it, it gives us a wonderful example of what making amends looks like in our mind's eye and um, what it should look like in, in the reality of all of the questions we should be asking. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sally. And go ahead, Katie. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Katie. Okay. I wasn't sure if I'd been muted. Okay. Good morning. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater. And this paragraph, you know, I, it's about 11 times that he says he uh, or him, you know, he's just totally focusing on himself. Like he is suddenly doing this on his own and um, and it's all up to him. And, you know, step nine says may direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Well, he's already injured this man, so he he really can't, I don't see how he can possibly not have to take the consequences of it. You know, he's already ruined this man's reputation. Um, so uh, he was, it's just fear. Fear creeps in when we um, have to make some really difficult amends. And you know, Sally was giving the analogy of, you know, opening an old wound. And, you know, the reality is there's old wounds that, you know, I I knew a kid that ended up in the hospital because he had this fever and and nobody knew what was wrong with him and he was there for days and it was getting worse and worse and worse. And finally, they looked down at his finger and he had this Band-Aid on this cut that, you know, he was old enough to take care of his own cut, and it was completely infected. So, of course, they had to lance it and, you know, get all the junk out and give him antibiotics and and take care of it, and then it was gone. And he was healed, and he's, you know, grown up now. But that's what's going to happen to us if we don't make these amends. If we try to cover it up, bury it in the past, bury the hatchet, without making an attempt to make restitution, we are going to drink again. That is the promise that we have heard over and over again as we've read through this chapter. That it's like, okay, this is what we're suggesting that you do. And by the way, if you don't, you're going to drink again. You know, here, that's your choice. And so as much as it can be painful and scary, just like uh, every other part of this um, journey we've been on, it comes down to trusting our higher power to get us through that, you know, if it's not, um, if God will get us through what he's brought us to. And, you know, it, it's um, it's just no question. It's, he's making this great, you know, 
uh, plea for the fact that maybe, you know, he would hurt his partner and his family and all that, but the reality is he has already hurt the person. It's not a mystery. It's not one of those things where the guy never knew that he hated him, so now he's going to go up and say, you know, I always hated you for the last five years. Who cares? No one cares about that. You don't have to tell someone that. You just start being nice to them. But if you have taken their money and ruined their reputation, you got to make it right. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to comment before we move on? This is Paula. May I comment? Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. You know, I don't know about anybody else, but I never like the middle of the story, especially this one. I'm liking the ending, but we're in the middle now, and that's where we are in the nine step. Look at where we are. But I wanted to just bring to mind the top of the page. I'm loving this. And there the prayer. The prayer has begun here. We asked God, that's what it said, to help. And the drastic step, as described, and it is drastic, is indicated we must not shrink. Honey, doesn't matter. When you're in the middle, you've got to keep on going. And here you keep on going with God's help. You don't shrink and go back. Do you want to go back? That's the question. All these questions here, but the real question is, do you want to go back to where and who you were? So every question there, every question must be answered. But you ask God, and you will get the help. That's what it says. Ask God to help. And the answers will be before you and inside you. And then you can go on and move on from the middle of the story to the end. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Well, let's move on to the next paragraph. And Chelsea, could you read that for us, please? Yes, I can. This is Chelsea, recovered today in South Jersey. After consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator, guilty of such ruinous slander. He saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands, or he would soon start drinking again, and all would be lost anyhow. He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quickly got up, he quietly got up, and made an explanation. His action met widespread approval, and today he is one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. Wow. This step nine, which I still continue to do today, I call them freedom runs, because every time I make another amends, I'm freer. And um, the whole step nine for me actually shows the importance of working with my sponsor and trusting in that source that's greater than myself that I had already agreed I would turn, you know, my life and my will over to in three. And if we go back to 79, it says reminding ourselves that we had decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience, we ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. So it's, it's not about me at all anymore. In fact, it's about cleaning up the wreckage that living on self-will has created. And from doing all the studying up to this point and actually doing the work, not just only opening up the book when I talk to my sponsor, but also doing work outside of work. It's a textbook, so that meant there would have to be some work on my own and homework and stuff to do. So I wasn't like waking up and just running out making these amends haphazardly, just, you know, deciding I'd get up. There had been preparation before I went. Like this gentleman here, he consulted with the wife and the partner. He came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. So he they, he did what the questions that were asked before in the preceding paragraph, he actually did the work to get the um, answer. He consulted, <clears throat> excuse me, he consulted, he didn't run out recklessly, and he, and he made some kind of decision, and then he took actual action. He took actual action, and since it, was, it looks to me, what I'm getting from the text is that it was a public statement. He said, how could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? 
So then if we look down a little bit, he went to church. I don't know if you can get any more public than that to go and make this amends. And uh, I, after doing the consulting and after making a decision and actually doing the work, he was able to go to a public place to exonerate this gentleman that he had ruined doing his own bad thing. And I can come think in mind um, working the night shift, doing a lot of stuff, blaming it on others, eating other people's food, going around to the other refrigerators on the other floors to see what was in there so I could eat that food. Hearing people come in and wondering where was the meal that they were going to have for their lunch, that knowing I had eaten it, knowing I had eaten it, but not saying anything. So that in and of itself, there's a number of examples. Again, when living my life on self-will run riot, <laughs> there's a plethora of things. This is not one and done for me with step nine. And I'm grateful because, again, like I said, they're freedom runs for me. And every time I make one, I check with my sponsor. I, I make sure I actually get – my sponsor worked with me so well with this. Again, this is the time to appreciate these sponsors and these people who have walked before us because they can give us the guidance, because a lot of times self, we just got well here in nine. We're just, we still, some of us haven't even still really gotten the full influx of what's going to happen to us, you know, so we're still teetering in the balance on what's right and wrong, or our minds, you know, working properly since they were so broken and damaged. So we're not hanging out here on our own. We have help. If we've done the work, if we've done the work, this is, actually something that I looked forward to because I was prepared. And one of the things that I really find about these amends, especially since they're not about me, is that when I check in with my divine director, when I'm writing the script, and as long as it's divinely inspired and Chelsea's not involved because I've run it by my sponsor, I just feel like, again, this is the most freeing experience that I've ever had in my life. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, this is Sarah. Go ahead, Sarah. Hi, good morning. I'm Sarah B., a recovered compulsive eater in Washington, D.C. And I just want to kind of follow um, up a little bit on what um, Chelsea was so eloquently saying. I Obviously, I love all the steps, and they're a process. Um, or I love them, I should say, in their totality, and they're definitely a process. But in terms of um, kind of bang for my recovery buck, I feel like step nine is where I had some of my most extraordinary growth and program. I had some very challenging amends to make. I hurt a lot of people, and um, one of the groups of people I had hurt very badly was actually my husband's extended family. I had caused quite a bit of chaos and destruction and sowed a lot of bad faith with his family, so I had a lot of amends, and he has a very large family. So I had a lot of amends to make, and of course I was terrified to do it. And as this paragraph says, it talks about two key tools that we can use to help us make our amends. One is after consulting with somebody, in this case um, the author or the the, subject consulted with his wife and partner. Um, In many of our cases, we consult with our recovered sponsors, In fact, I would say all of us should consult with our recovered sponsors and also um, other fellows in program who have recovery that we respect. And then the second thing is that, you know, he turned it over to God. He saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. And I have this practically this whole paragraph highlighted because this really helped me make my amends. I was terrified to contact some of the people that I had to. And I was like, well, you know, my choice is this or back into the food, which was so hellacious. So um, I took a deep breath. I prayed. I consulted with my sponsor, and I set about to make my my amends. Um, They were not always easy. Um, You know, some people were um, very casual about it and very much like, oh, you know, that's water under the bridge. It's okay. And those were relatively easy for me to handle. But I'll tell you, some people did not react that way. Um, I had one person start to, to, a couple of people start to sob uncontrollably and say, you know, you you hurt me so badly. And um, th- to me, that was just taking my medicine. I needed to stand there, you know, like a like an adult and take it. And and I, you know, I needed to hold what they were saying. I needed to hear what they were saying. 
Um, one of the other important lessons of my amends that I, I feel compelled to share is that early on in my amends, I would sometimes tell people, I'm in a 12-step program and this is part of my recovery. And I have to tell you, I actually stopped doing that when somebody said to me, well, now you can check me off your list. And I was like, oh, wow, I don't want anybody to think that that is why I'm doing this. Because, yes, my program was the impetus for me, um, you know, doing making the amends. That was the immediate impetus. But I had a sincere desire to make things right with these people and with my creator, and I didn't want them being distracted by feeling like I was doing this um, just because I had to or I was obligated um, that just kind of became a distraction. So I eventually, just after that experience, I just left that part out and pretty much just said, you know, I wronged you, and I, um, you know, feel, you know, even though it's years later, I feel um, at this time, you know, really um, strongly that I want to apologize and, you know, try to make it right to you and, you know, just went from there. And I will tell you that even when people, even when it was hard to hear when pe- what people had to say, even when people you know, cried or said, you know, that was terrible, that was awful, how could you have done that? And like I said, quite a few people did. It was still so helpful to me at the end and so so worth it. And my relationships with those people um, got better and were really healed. There is nobody who truly, truly rejected my amends and said, get out of here, you're a terrible person. Um, all of them were healing, all of them were cathartic, and I have no doubt that I would be back in the food if I hadn't um, sincerely undertaken the step. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah. Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. A couple things stood out to me in this paragraph. You know, wonderful things. Thank, thank you so much for the shares this morning. You know, he knew that it was better to take those risks, you know, because there were risks here. He had no ultimate knowledge of what was going to happen as a result of making this amends, the outcome had to be placed in God's hands. You know, there's got to be trust, trust, reliance, and dependence upon God. And he was willing to do that. He was willing to do that, place the outcome in God's hands. Because he knew, rather than stand before his own creator and not have this taken away from him, he had to take the risk. He had to take the risk. And and it says he hadn't been to church for many years. So he had lost that connection with his faith community, with his church, because he was in the drinking and in that thinking. And so he, he went back to church after having not been there. And what did he do? He quietly, he quietly got up. He didn't make a big fuss about it. He didn't, his ego was not involved. He quietly got up and made the amends. You know, what courage, what faith it took to do that. And what humility he was given. No ego. To go back to church, a place he had not been able to go for a very long time. And then to do it with God's help. You know, do it with God's help. And then this action that he took, guess what? met with widespread approval. You know, when we go to the man, when we go to these amends with sincerity, with sincerity, just like has been shared by the people before me, that when we go with sincerity, heartfelt desire to do this thing, to take this action, to make right what we can, you know, we find peace of mind, contentment, fulfillment in doing it. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. After consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. Um, again, it's reinforcing that, uh, you know, we utilize people who are recovered, who have had these experiences. You can hear just in the hour that we've been uh, studying Step 9 on the line this morning that there are those um, of us who have had these kind of experiences and interactions utilize us, utilize that experience. Um, you know, we're happy to share it. So after consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion, again, after after discussion, 
there was a conclusion, there was an outcome that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. Uh, the big book is giving us a clear example here that we can uh, use um, in our own personal lives, that there are going to be situations where the amends could result in ser serious consequences. Uh, in cases involving potential loss of employment, uh, like stated here, imprisonment or alienation from one's family. I mean, these are very serious matters that need discussion and consultation. We need to weigh the consequences carefully. And certainly we can't delay these amends merely out of fear for ourselves. Because ultimately, we will, we will suffer, you and I, real compulsive overeaters like us. But we seek the outside guidance from a counselor or from a recovered sponsor um, and decide how to proceed. But in the end, uh, it was willing for, he, he, he saw it was better to take those risks and to stand before his creator guilty. Um, you know, when we uh, wrong people, we're really wronging God. You know, so yes, this particular situation required special consideration and timing. And he had to proceed slowly rather than hurry out the door and create more of a mess and cause more damage. He saw that he had to replace, he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. So here God can be a great source of aid and comfort for us. You know, when we knock on that office door or when we make an appointment to meet with family members, take God in with you. <laughs> because God is a great source of aid and comfort. We need to be constantly aware that God's presence, your higher power's presence, is with us now and will continue to be with us on this journey. Others may not understand this process or support our men's process, and that's okay. But <laughs> because God stands ready to help us see, see us through this process. We're the ones that have to be convinced of the spiritual work. doesn't matter whether other people are convinced of it. We have to be convinced of it. Why do we have to do this? Well, because it's impossible to live freely on September 17, 2013 and drag my actions of the, of the 80s with me. It's hard to live today, September 17, 2013, happy, joyous, and free, when walking down the street, we're hoping we don't bump into an old boss or, you know, the uh, executive at our local bank or the IRS department or an old friend and a, an acquaintance, an ex-husband. You know, we're concerned we're going to bump into the wreckage of our past. And that wreckage resides in our head, and since it exists in our head, it's a threat to our serenity. So absolutely it's necessary. And of course, we don't, we don't get results from just talking about this step or reading about this step or intellectualizing about this step. We get the results from doing the step. So the question always is, how free are we willing to be, to go to any length for our freedom, freedom from our substances from our disease compulsive overeating and freedom from our unmanageability, our spiritual malady, our gangrene of the spirit. Step nine offers an opportunity to rectify our past, repair our past, and have healthy and rewarding relationships in the future. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Leah. Well, I see our time is up for today. So thank you to everyone who has shared. Thank you to um, Amy W. for reading the 12 steps and for Anne S. for reading the 12 traditions. And to the readers, Devorah, Du, Chelsea, and, uh, and Paula, thank you so much for everybody who shared today so movingly. And now we will close our meeting with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Paula, could you read that for us? This would be Paula. I could and I will. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. 
God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.